Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast. I'm Keith Caulfield, Senior Director of Billboard Charts. And I'm Katie Atkinson, Billboard's Deputy Editor Digital. Hi, Katie. How are you? Doing great. How about yourself, Keith? I'm okay. Um, do you have an exciting uh, music-filled weekend, perhaps? <laughs> it, was, it wasn't particularly music-filled. Uh, it was Golden Globes-filled because of work. But There's uh, music at the Globes, sort of. Not this year. Not really. <laughs> D- uh, Diane Warren, friend of the podcast, won a Golden Globe for she Best did. Original Song. She did, and Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, along with John Batiste, won for Soul for Best Score. Let's get the three of them on the show. That'd be fun. There you go. I wonder if they've done a joint interview together. That'd I don't. Be kind I'm, of fun. I wonder if they've met. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, as always, the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast is your one-stop shop for all things pop on Billboard's weekly charts. In addition, you can always count on a lively discussion about the latest pop news, fun chart stats and stories, new music, and guest interviews with music stars and folks from the world of pop. Today on the show. We've got chart news about how Morgan Wallen's Dangerous, the double album, with a seventh week at number one on the Billboard 200 chart, claims a unique distinction among country albums on the chart. And how Chris Brown and Young Thug's Go Crazy jumps to number three on the Billboard Hot 100, giving Brown his highest charting hit since 2008. Plus, we have an interview with Jessie J. Yeah! The pop singer-songwriter joined us on the 10-year anniversary of her debut album, Who You Are, to talk about the songs that launched her career. Plus, she offered up some hints about her upcoming fifth studio album, so stick around for that. But first, before we get started, if you enjoy the podcast, subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast provider so you won't miss an episode. And if you want to explore more podcasts from Billboard, visit billboard.com slash podcasts. Uh, All right, first up, let's do the chart chat. On the Billboard 200 Albums chart, while no albums debut in the top 10, it's kind of a sleepy week at the top of the chart, Morgan Wallen's Dangerous, the double album, makes chart history as the only country album to spend its first seven weeks at number one in the 64-year history of the Billboard 200 chart. The set rules the list for a seventh total week, all consecutive, after having debuted atop the list six weeks ago on the chart dated January 23rd. Dangerous earned 89,000 equivalent album units in the United States in the week ending February 25th. That's down 5% compared to the previous week, according to MRC data. The only other country set to tally its first six weeks on the chart at number one 
meaning it debuted at number one and spent six consecutive weeks in a row at number one, was Garth Brooks' The Chase. It debuted at number one on the October 10th, 1992 chart and spent six weeks in the lead through November 14th, 1992. It then slipped from the top slot for two weeks and returned for one more total week at number one on November 28th, 1992. Now, Dangerous and The Chase are two of only eight country albums that have spent at least seven weeks in total at number one on the Billboard 200 chart. Uh, Strikingly, Dangerous has been so consistently dominant at number one, it's the only album with seven weeks in a row at number one among all genres of music since Drake's Fuse notched its first nine weeks at number one back in 2016, and it spent a total of 13 non-consecutive weeks at number one. Next up, over on the Billboard Hot 100 Songs chart, Olivia Rodrigo's driver's license rules the chart at number one for a seventh consecutive week. So yes, the past seven weeks, we've had the same number one album on the Billboard 200 and the same number one on the Hot 100 chart. Meanwhile, Chris Brown and Young Thug's Go Crazy charges up the chart to a new peak, rising eight to three, thanks in part to the activity provided by the release of a new remix of the track featuring Future, Little Dirk, and Mulatto. Go Crazy beats the uh, beats its previous Hot 100 peak of number five, and with the crazy climb, Brown posts his highest Hot 100 rank in over a dozen years since Forever peaked at number two for two weeks in August of 2008. And now it's time for our interview with Jesse J. I caught up with the British singer-songwriter over Zoom on the 10-year anniversary of the UK release of her debut album, Who You Are, which launched her breakout single price tag, as well as her first Hot 100 top 10 hit, Domino. We talked all about the making of that album, including when she was writing Party in the USA for Miley Cyrus, which was originally... Which somehow I did not know. Yeah, so... It, <laughs> it, I mean, first of all, yeah, most people just associate that song with Miley. Jessie J wrote it originally thinking it was going to be for herself. And so I asked her about the lyrics, whether there were original lyrics, you know, that uh, fascinating were about her life. I thought it was fascinating, too. So we yes. talked about that, um, as well as uh, writing her eventual hit Domino and feeling the opposite of sexy and free, even if she wrote those carefree lyrics. Plus, we talk all about her next album, which will be executive produced by Ryan Tedder. And the One Republic frontman even sent Jesse a video text during our chat. So you can hear all that and much more when you take a listen to our chat with Jesse J. Hello to Jesse J and welcome back to the Billboard Pop Shop Podcast. Thanks for having me back. How are you? I'm great. And uh, it's a big day for you. Uh, this today, the day we're talking is the 10 year anniversary of the UK release of your debut album, Who You Are. So um, what is, what's the day been like so far? Congratulations, first of all. Thank you so much. The day has been, I mean, I got up and I put on music, obviously the first album, and I made myself pancakes. And on it, it feels like, I don't know if it's like just a conscious or subconscious thing, but like, I feel like the last 10 years have been playing in my mind, like a film, like the last kind of 12 hours. Like I dreamt about like being on stage and having anxiety of like it being near the beginning. And like, just, it's really the front of all my thoughts right now and just really reminiscing and reflecting on like, 
how much I've lived and how lucky I am. Yeah. I mean, I would love to take you back to, you know, when you were making the album, um, obviously it came out in 2011, but, uh, as your debut album, you were working on working toward this project for years before that. So what can you tell me about writing and, and recording these songs? Well, the crazy thing about who you are is that it really did start when I was around 16, 17. I didn't know that. But, you know, Big White Room, Stand Up, Mama Knows Best, they were all written years and years before I even got signed. Wow. So I kind of went around like, I was doing like two sessions a day. I lived off Cheetos and I lived in, uh, what's it called? Oakwood Apartments. Oh, everybody in LA lives there first. I lived in Building <laughs> L and I just like lived off Cheetos and like, didn't know where I was or what I was doing. And I was like in three sessions a day and just like, it was insane. And I remember just, it was just such a whirlwind. And it's crazy because, you know, I really, I really enjoyed the process. You know, it it was such a long time. And I can smell like the studios, like Toby Gad, the day I wrote Who You Are, I never forget it. We wrote verses. And then I went back to the hotel and I was listening to it and I was like, I don't like these verses. They feel too busy. And I went back the next day and was like, can I just sing? Can I just sing what comes out? And I wrote what I had done that night before. Like brushing my hair, do I look perfect? And I just, I don't know, I just was such a, it was like a story with a melody, you know? So I just, yeah, it was, it was a wild time. And you were obviously writing a lot um, and a lot of your songs that you were writing, you didn't know whether they were going to be for you or go to other artists. And most famously, you uh, you wrote Party in the USA that Miley Cyrus recorded, which came out in 2009. She redid it because it is way bigger than anything I would have ever done. Well, I wondered, I wondered, were the lyrics, you know, originally uh, for you? Was it about, you know, getting off the plane from the UK to the US as opposed to Nashville to L.A.? Yeah, yeah, I was happy to playing at LAX with my tea and my cardigan. Welcome to the land of fame and sex. Whoa, am I gonna fit in? So it was like similar but not the same, mm. but very, you know, it was about it was and it was uh how to the drivers on the left side, look to my right, and I see the Hollywood sign. All my days there's maces, everybody seems so famous. Like, and I, I always sang Jay-Z song. And I remember her met, like asking if she could say Britney's song was on. And I was like, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but no, I wrote it for me. You know, it was, it was a session that I did with Claude Kelly and Dr. Luke. And, you know, we weren't sure if it was for me. And then when she heard it, she loved it. And, you know, of course I was like, make it personal to you. So yeah, there's a, there's a version out there somewhere of me singing, singing it. Well, and I wonder, did having that um, hit and landing songs for other artists too, did, did that help get your foot in the door or did it make some people want to keep you behind the scenes and not want you to do your own thing? Well, I was, all, I was always a songwriter, you know, and like my voice kind of kind of stood in front of me and behind me, it, depending on the situation in life, you know, but songwriting has always, is always kind of for me been in front of the singing just because I like to write a story and sing about what I'm going through. But Part in the USA put my foot in the door as a credible artist that can write songs and that I will always be grateful for. Um, and it's become such a huge song, you know, over time. And it's something that people still whip out now. And like, you know, when Biden was elected, it was played everywhere. And like, to be able to be associated with such huge historical moments, even now, like literally 13 years on, like 12 years on, it's just so magical. And 
I'm so grateful for Miley and what she did for that song and what it did for me. It paid my rent. Like she basically kept me, you know, afloat when I was a tough, you know, it was a tough time and I was a struggling artist that just wanted to do my thing. So yeah, that song changed my life for sure. And you obviously got to do your thing with uh, with that first album. And the very first taste of it was when you released Do It Like a Dude, which was the first UK single. And that was in um, November of 2010. It was yeah. such an in-your-face first impression. Um, what do you remember about the response to the song and, and to the video? I remember watching the video on a flight back from Tokyo, I think. I think I was hair modeling for something. And uh, someone had sent me and I was watching it and I was like, oh, it's so aggressive. I love it. And someone next to me was like, is that you? And I was like, yeah, it's me. And when I landed, it hit like 12 million views. Wow. And I was just like, oh, fuck, okay, <laughs> happening. And I just remember seeing the complete split of, I love her, I hate her. Mm. And it was so, I mean, I'm from Essex, like, you know, I'm a London born and bred. So like, that is so, we're so one or the other. It's very like, we're not in the middle. We don't sit on the fence very much. and. I loved it. I loved the extremity of like, and just the power it gave people and that people loved to hate the song and hated to love the song. And just, you know, it was a, it was a, it was a ballsy song. You know, I actually wrote that with Rihanna in mind. Mm. I've spoken about that before. And I remember when I sent it to my label that like, this is your first single. And I wasn't sure for a long time that that was the first single because it wasn't singing enough, but the image and the video Emil Nava, like the way he, created the image like you know it's people expect me to be really aggressive and intimidating when they meet me now because of that first impression and you know I love that song that whole time was just that video was so fun all the females like just everyone it was it was so empowering uh yeah I noticed FK Twigs there she was in that and price oh, yeah. tag right I was like oh there's Twigs <laughs> yeah Twigs was in the price tag video too yeah that's she that's awesome the, yeah. And uh, she was great. I remember, it's so crazy because I actually remember she was one of the people that I sat and talked to for like an hour on the day of the price tag video shoot and the dude shoot. And I remember sitting with her and she was like, yeah, I'm a singer and I write too. And she was always just so like elegant. I just remember her being really elegant with everything that she did. And like, it's so beautiful how you cross paths with different mm. performers and creatives, you know, and that sometimes you stand behind people, you stand with people, you stand in front and it's like, there's a mutual respect and I, I just love that, especially with women. And uh, speaking of price tag, that was your first single in the US in um, January, mm -hmm. 2011. So uh, was there a noticeable difference when price tag came out? Did you start hearing from fans, you know, outside of the UK, start hearing from fans from America, from around the oh, world? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I remember that when I first came back to LA and New York after price tag had like hit and I was like, oh, I can't go to like CVS anymore. <laughs> Like, you know, it was, it was completely different and I didn't stay at the Oakwood apartment. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I got taken to like a hotel to eat and like fancy restaurants. And I was like, this is weird. Um, I remember I went to a Grammy party in a top shop jumpsuit and like, and a, and like a H&M leather jacket. And like, I'd drawn a beauty spot on my face and like music notes with eyeliner. And I was like, I'm a fucking star, <laughs> you know? And like, it's just so funny looking back at it now and just, you know, how, how naive you are you know and just how everything every artist that I meet now you know I'm on my fifth record now so like everything that I'm, I'm doing I've usually done before but in some sort of way so like when I meet new artists I'm like just enjoy this because you're never going to get this first launch feeling ever again 
you know? Yeah. I mean, you had so many uh, firsts, obviously, with that album and price tag being your first number one in your native UK. Um, do you remember when you found out that it had, had topped the UK songs chart? I was I actually watched a video of it the other day someone posted it or I watched it I think I have a, actually I think I have a clip of it I should post that oh you got to like relive it like I watch have a clip of it. you know what I, I have so much footage and I started going through it and I found a clip of me in my flat and I had all my friends and family there and it was announced on radio because obviously back then you didn't know until it was announced on the radio and they were like you know Jesse J you've got your number one first number one and I'm like woo and like I can see myself not knowing how to because I'm so awkward and I'm not very good at celebrating myself and I was like, yay. <laughs> and it was like, I was just, I just, if I'm honest, I, I even still feel like now, I feel like I've just won a competition to like be a pop star for a day. Like every day I'm just like, it just does. And I, I kind of always want that to be how I feel, mm. you know, that it just doesn't feel normal because then it makes it exciting, you know? Yeah. Oh, and sometime from Billboard, obviously we have to talk about Domino, which was the fifth single from the album. Also hit number one in the UK, and it was your first song to climb to the top ten on the Billboard Hot 100 here in the US. Yeah. Did that feel like a like a big moment? Obviously, you'd been going for you know more than a year at that point with the album, yeah. but did it feel kind of like a culmination of all those previous singles and all yeah. the recognition? Yeah, I kind of I kind of settled into like my new life by then, um, and coming back to coming to LA and like New York especially was so special and like. My, my career really started in the UK and then it kind of went to New York and like so like the East Coast I've always had a really close connection to um but yeah Domino Domino was crazy because I broke my foot and obviously I was doing like different performances and then I had to fly to LA to write songs for the deluxe and Domino I was sitting in Dr Luke's studio with Claude and I had my foot on a stool and he was like, what do you want to write about? I said, I want to write a song that's the complete opposite of how I feel. Hmm. And the first lyric was, I'm feeling sexy and free. And I was not <laughs> feeling sexy or free. I was feeling really shitty and very trapped because I couldn't walk, like, you know, without crutches. And I, I had no idea what was wrong with my foot at that point. And, um, yeah, it was it was crazy when I think back, I sang, I recorded that song sitting down with my leg in the air. Is that the, the um, trick to pop songwriting is to think of like how you're feeling and do the exact opposite in words? I actually think that that's just a thing for life. Yeah, that's like, a good you know, idea. Like, do the opposite in when, you know, like sometimes just you've got to shake it up, you know, and it's true, it can pull you out. Like, you know, sometimes you really have to go into how you feel. But for me in that moment, I was like, feeling sexy and free, like glitter's raining on me. And I was just sitting there like high on painkillers, just like trying to get through the day. Um, but yeah, that that song again, it was like, I was so grateful that I'd got a song that had matched price tag mm. because when you first release stuff, you know, your biggest fear is that you're always gonna fight against that one hit, you yep. know? And so I was grateful that I, I was like, okay, isn't I'm not a one trick pony, I can do it again. And, you know, and, and and we got that magical moment again. So Domino is still one of my favorite songs. It is. It's just so fun. It's like, yeah. you know, even like listening back to it, it took me to a moment, like it took me back to 10 years ago and it's just like carefree and fun. It's perfect. Yeah. Um, and looking back on this album, is there a song that wasn't released as a single that's especially like meaningful for you kind of as a time capsule of where you were then? Um... I mean, all of them were like when right. I back them, like L-O-V-E you know that was a, a love song that I wrote about my girlfriend you know and I've always been open about that and 
you know, I've, I've, I've learned so much about myself and how I speak about what I've been through in my own life. And it's all true, you know, and I know that that song really helped people discover who they were and like in their sexuality, even though younger now, like whatever it was. And that song was really powerful for me personally and knowing what it meant for me. Um, who's laughing now? You know, my niece who's 14 listens to that song every day and it helps her, you know? And so when I see how much the music that I wrote when I was like so close to her age and now, you know, 10 years on, it's now, you know, it's like a gift, you know, it just passes on. That's the beautiful thing about music. It really stands the test of time. It's a time capsule that you can just gift as a gift, give as a gift. Um, but yeah, ca Casualty of Love, I love that song. Like for me, it's, you know, all of them are, I need this, you know, Chris Brown cut that. So that was a big moment for me because I love Chris Brown. I uh, think he's an incredible musician and artist and performer. Um, I love the story about, you know, because music really uh, meets you where you are. So the idea of a 14 year old listening to that now and relating to it, it's so beautiful to think that it's going to live on like that forever. Oh, for sure. Like my kids, kids, kids can listen to, you know, Domino and be picked up. And, you know, it's like, that's one of my main things is to write songs that really people can relate to that are personal to me, but then people can take them and go about like, what can I make? And that, if I'm honest, is what I've done on this new album. Oh, I want to talk like, before oh, we move on, before we move on, I just want to say if like, I, what, what did it, if my play today wasn't sitting off camera, I would probably play the album oh, right now. Ah. Like, <laughs> you know, um, no. just, to, just to like wrap up on who you are, what did it mean to you at the time? And what does it mean for you now? Like with time to reflect back on it, that your debut album made such an impact, like seven singles, deluxe editions, two UK number ones, your first US top 10, you arrived with such like a massive splash. Like what, what does that mean to you now? For me now, like the challenge of, of beating that mm. is the hardest thing. Mm. And I haven't. Bang, bang, nearly got there, but I haven't. <laughs> and I know that. And I'm grateful. I'm grateful that I'm okay with saying that. And I'm grateful that I'm still alive and kicking and sane and happy and you know, positive and still have my voice that I can still try and do that. And I really believe that this next album is the first thing that can really go, oh, you want to fight? Let's go. But in a, in a happy, confident way, you know, like, you know, you, I can, I can hang out with you at a party, you know, these songs can say to the old songs. <laughs> um, but what I remember is just how grateful I am. And I, I get emotional about this now, like that, you know, you get to a certain time in your life and you can choose what you want. You can choose what you want to eat, what you want to listen to, who you want to support, where you want to go, where you want to live, what you want to drive, all those things. And for people to have chosen me to be a soundtrack in that moment, it, it, even now, like it just blows my mind. I never ever came into this industry wanting to be the biggest star in the world, never have. I just like to go with the flow, you know, I kind of love that people still call me underrated because it just kind of, it still gives me that like, people, I just, I know that I'm selling what I am, if that makes sense. I'm not, I don't, I don't need to be the biggest thing in the room. I just want to be the, I want to be the truest thing mm. and the realist, you know, like, and I think that that's what that album represented to me. That's what I was proud of. And I'm grateful that people saw that and celebrated that I was just vulnerable and I wasn't afraid. And I, I really, you know, for like when I look back at it now, I wanna just give myself a hug in so many moments where I doubted myself. Um, 
and couldn't do it and didn't want to do it. You know, and I was one standing on the stage going, be true to who you are, but I know I wasn't, mm. you know, and the, the, the kind of the irony of all of it and just how much life is just so incredibly up and down. Um, but yeah, now I'm just living my best life. And you're working on new music. I am. What can you, what can you tell me about that? And I know it's probably early. It is, it is and it isn't, you know, me and Ryan, Ryan Teddo is executive producing. I don't know if that's common knowledge, but he is. Amazing. Um, And he and I have written, I think nine, nine or 10 songs, you know, we've probably done, if you collate the days, we've probably done like three weeks, like every day. It's not been that much time. It's just been spread out. Right. You know, and it's been a whole shebang. Um, but it's 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 like this. The music is like this. <laughs> and that's what the first album was. It was like, hi, here I am. Okay, everybody, <laughs> listeners can't see you. She's got her hand in my face. It's coming in your face. <laughs> it's, it's very, you know, there's a lot of honesty in there because obviously I've lived a lot of life that people want to know about. And you know, there's that element, but there's also just like, I think I've just got to an age, I'm 33 in, in four weeks. I've got to an age where I'm like, I just have to celebrate what I can do, even if it isn't what's cool right now. Oh. That's actually what makes it cool. Chasing what's cool never works. No, never and works. I've never been that person. So I've always been loud and I've always been bold and I've always been, you know, controversial without being offensive. I'd like to say, sometimes I probably get that wrong. I like to stand on the edge, but not fall off. You know, I'm one of those people that like, I like to bleed out and, you know, and just make people stand in the middle of their fucking shit, <laughs> good and bad. And I, as I do that for myself, so for me, the next, this music's just, I don't even know how to explain it. It just feels, everyone that's heard it has just gone, this feels like it should be in a in a movie. Oh, amazing. Big and like, Cinematic. Yes. And have you been able to be in the same place as Ryan or have you had to do a lot remotely? Yeah, yeah. me and Ryan have done a lot of sessions. We did, I've done some Zoom sessions, but I didn't like it, which is one of the reasons this took so long because I was like, I kind of want to be in a room with someone. Yeah. Um, but no, he luckily, he works 10 minutes down the street from where I am. So we've been able to like really hang out and I've not laughed as much as I've laughed hmm. with this little crew that we've got writing an album before. Um, so I'm so grateful for, oh my God, he just texted me. Ah, really? He saved in my phone as Tokyo girl. <laughs> he sent me a video. Should I watch it? Yes, you should. Listen to this shit. Oh, it's a song from the what? album. Um, <laughs> a taste, a taste. He text me right now saying, listen to this shit with his face in the camera going, listen to this fucking shit. Like, <laughs> That's the energy. Like we're just hi- we just hype each other up. Like we like high five and we're just like we walk around and he's it's so beautiful because he's just like he has a side of his voice that he doesn't often get to like stretch. Mm. You know, he has his thing and he said to me like you've brought out this side of me that I now can put into the music and so he and I have, it's been a really fun experience working with him so closely that's incredible and any idea when we might hear any of this music ASAP okay ASAP yeah there's no if I could tell you a date today I would um but definitely before it gets cold <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, I am super excited to hear you all. You know, that's kind of like a like an escape room answer, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> okay, you know, these, these songs are not for a turtleneck. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that is the perfect, the perfect hint. Um, yeah. I really appreciate your time today. I can't thank wait to hear much. the new music, and uh, thank you so much for revisiting. Uh, you know, the start of your career thank you with for me. Asking me great questions. Absolutely. Thank you, Jesse, and great to Love meet you. Time. Nice to meet you too. Thank you so much to Jesse J for catching up with us. Uh, can't wait to hear the new music. And it was just so fun to hear all those memories about all that music. Yeah, I'm super bummed that I was not there for this. But um, when I listened to the interview back, um, I learned so much about Jesse J that I did not know. And I don't know if maybe like super fan, like fans of Jesse already knew a lot of sure. these things. But a lot of it was new to me. And she just... I wish I could have seen her. I wish this was a video podcast and sometimes because she see just she seemed really warm and down yes. to earth and normal as normal as yes. you can be. And I thought she lived in the Oakwood apartments in L.A. just like every other person who moves to L.A. Every, every other every <laughs> other like person who's aspiring to be in the entertainment industry lives in Oakwood. I think the exactly. the Joni probably lived there at some point. I think they did. Um, and uh, I guess technically now Ryan Tedder is a friend of the podcast because his voice was on the show. There you go. Yes. <laughs> We've been trying to get him on the show for a while. Ryan, if you'd like to properly be on the show, feel free. Yes, we'll talk all about Jesse's new music. And now it's time for the chart stat of the week. Just put your paws up. Because you were born this way, baby. Ten years ago this week, the Hot 100 crowned its 1,000th number one as Lady Gaga's Born This Way debuted atop the chart dated February 26, 2011. It was her third of so far five number ones. The Hot 100 launched on August 4, 1958, with its first number one, Poor Little Fool, by Ricky Nelson. A little over 42 years later, the 1,000th number one was ushered in, Born This Way. In the 10 years since Born This Way, there have been 116 more number ones, Olivia Rodrigo's driver's license is the number 1,116th number one. Uh, clearly, the turnover rate in earlier years of the Hot 100 was much, much faster. Uh, and by the way, the 18-year-old Rodrigo was just eight years old when Born mm -hmm. This Way hit number one. And she when Jessie J released her first album. Yes, it all comes full circle. It's all about 10-year anniversaries this yes. week. Since Born This Way, Lady Gaga has logged two more number ones, Shallow with Bradley Cooper in 2019, and it was the 1,084th number one, and Rain On Me with Ariana Grande in 2020, the 1,103rd number one. So there you have it. Ten years ago, Lady Gaga's Born This Way became the 1,000th number one on the Hot 100 chart. I have to say, I still uh, get emotional almost every time I hear Born This Way. It's... Because of the line, no matter gay, straight, or bi, lesbian, transgender, life, I'm on the right track, baby. I'm like, it's just, I, you didn't hear that and you still kind of don't. I was going to say, it, it's, it wasn't a metaphor. It wasn't a euphemism. It was like, let me just spell it out. This is what this song is about. Like, I just, I mean, come on. Well, even 10 years later, it's the song that JoJo Siwa used to come out on TikTok. 
just like a couple months ago. So it's, it's that, there. Yes. Lasting impact. Um, so any parting words aside from the words we just said? <laughs> Those are great parting words, I think. Um, all right. So what song should we go out on? Oh, man. Uh, maybe one more Jesse J song we didn't hear during the interview. Uh, uh, would you want to do what, like Bang Bang, perhaps? Well, no, I was thinking from the album. I was thinking we oh. didn't hear her UK first single, which was "Do It Like a Dude." We can go out with like a really, really, uh, you know, powerful statement here. All right, uh, do it like a dude, <laughs> and we'll see you guys next time. All right, bye.
<clears throat> Today on the show, we've got chart news about how Morgan Wallen's Dangerous, the double album, with a seventh week at number one on the Billboard 200, claims a unique distinction among country albums on the chart, and how Chris Brown and Young Thug's Go Crazy jumps to number three on the Billboard Hot 100, giving Brown his highest charting hit since 2008. Meanwhile, Chris Brown and Young Thug's Go Crazy charges up the chart to a new peak, rising 8 to 3, thanks to, uh... <laughs> Meanwhile, Chris Brown and Young Thug's Go Crazy charges up the chart to a new peak, rising 8 to 3, thanks in part to the activity provided by the release of a new remix of the track featuring Future, Little Dirk, and Mulatto. Go Crazy beats, the, uh, beats its previous Hot 100 peak of number 5, and with the crazy climb, Brown posts his highest Hot 100 rank in over a dozen years since Forever peaked at number two for two weeks in August of 2008. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.